0: Today's episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com deathdyingpod. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Today's episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things is also brought to you by BarkBox.com. Get one free extra month of BarkBox at getbarkbox.com deathdyingpod. You're listening to the Modern Horrors Podcast Network. Just a quick shout out to Daniel Smith for supporting the show on Patreon. It means a lot. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash death, dying, and other things. Any little bit helps. Now, on to the show. So, the last two months have been bizarre. Bizarre. Emotionally draining and just flat-out exhausting. That's really the only word I can use to describe how I feel lately. Just exhausted. I go to sleep exhausted, wake up exhausted, guzzle coffee, and remain exhausted. Two months ago, my wife and I found out her dog has terminal cancer. Um, I adopted Zelda, that's her name, 14 years ago. She was only a month old when i picked her out at the humane society and only six weeks when i finally brought her home i was 21 and she was my first pet ever she was with me through the darkest moments of my early 20s she was with me when i met my wife and she's been with us the last 11 years of our relationship she's brought so much unbridled joy That it's nearly impossible to imagine our lives without her, and yet here we are trying to deal with the fact that she will probably be gone by the end of the year. I had never reckoned with the depth of my love for this animal until we got the news. I knew I loved her deeply. It's just impossible to see the ways this being is wrapped up in your daily life, how much you build your schedule around their needs, Waking up so they can go outside, feeding them at the same time you feed yourself, needing to get home to take them on a walk. When we got the news, I spent three days paralyzed by grief, doing the best I could while crying constantly. Pre-grief, really. She was still there. I could still reach out and pet her. I can still reach out and pet her now, two months later. And yet on some days, my heart decides I need to grieve heavily for the dog that is still here, that I still scratch behind the ear and take on long walks around the field near our apartment. And my wife and I, well, she said it best, that it really feels like we're living with an axe above our heads that's going to fall at any moment and take this brilliant animal away from us before we are ready to let her go. Anyway, that's why this episode and last month's episode were so late. I've been struggling to maintain a production schedule for that, and a bunch of other reasons, including, you know, the ongoing global pandemic. In any case, next month's episode should be right on time. This month, on death, dying, and other things... A story about a dog and its owner. In A Story About a Dog, A Dog's Mystery Injury, and the Aftermath. Death and dying, the thresholds between this world and the next, the boundary between light and dark the barrier between worlds, and that's where we're going. We're going into the shadows to bring you stories of horror and heartbreak. From the Modern Horrors Podcast Network, this is Death, Dying, and Other Things. I'm Justin Buskey. Stay with us. I found it on a Tuesday morning. I woke up late, but wasn't too bothered by it. I never let things like that bother me. I'd just take a shorter shower, three minutes instead of eight or so. I'd take my breakfast with me and eat it in the car. I'd drive a little faster than usual. No biggie. I'd still make it to work on time. I rolled over and sat up in bed. My dog, Henry, was curled up at the foot of it, where he normally was in the morning, eyes wide and looking up at me, waiting for the moment I'd wake up and take him outside. He raised his head as I sat up and wagged his tail with fury. Henry was a wonderful brown and white hound dog. He was slightly overweight despite how many walks we went on together and had lost two teeth two years prior when he ran into a fence post at my mother's house. He had just turned eight years old that past May. It was August now. He'd been with me through some of the most painful portions of my life, and had always brought me joy. He was my partner, and I loved him dearly. I patted the bed at my side, and he pounced, rushing over and reveling in the scratches. He laid down and flipped over, and I rubbed his tummy with one hand while scratching behind his ear with the other. His tongue rolled out of his mouth and laid flat against the bed, and I laughed. My laughing stopped when the hand rubbing Henry's belly came back smeared with blood. Not a lot of blood, mind you, but any blood is too much blood when you're not expecting it. My first thought was that maybe I had scratched Henry with one of my fingernails. They were pretty long and needed a trim, so it didn't seem out of the realm of possibility. But when I slid Henry across the blankets near to me and flipped him completely to examine his belly against his half-hearted struggles, I didn't find a scratch at all. On Henry's small, hairless belly, I found what I could only describe as a hole. A small hole less than a centimeter in diameter, about the size of a pencil eraser, or maybe a pen cap, or a hole punch, or a million other classroom objects. In fact, looking further, that's exactly how it appeared. That poor Henry's skin was placed in a hole punch, and a perfect round was punched out. And it was bleeding. But not as much as you might expect a wound of that size to bleed, It was slow and oozing, and the bright red also mixed with something mostly clear but slightly yellow. I figured that Henry had simply run into something in the middle of the night and hurt himself. In any case, poking at the wound now didn't seem to bother the dog, and he was otherwise in perfect spirits. I fetched the first aid kit from beneath the bathroom sink, sterilized the wound with a cotton ball and some rubbing alcohol. And dressed it with a small square of gauze and some medical tape then i laughed to myself and realized i'd be amazed if henry hadn't chewed the gauze off of his belly by the time i got home later that day i walked henry around the block showered quickly grabbed a banana and coffee for the road and headed to work we were of course In the middle of a big project for a big client, because we always were in the middle of a big project for a big client. As soon as we were done with the most important project in company history, that project became the second most important project in company history, and the one we were just starting was the new most important project in company history. And the new client was the most important client we'd ever had, and if we blew them away, they had a lot more business to give us, so we had better do our best work. I didn't mind working like this. It kept me busy and the days moving quickly. I was so busy this particular Tuesday that by the time I left work I had forgotten about Henry's belly. Getting home that night around 6pm, Henry was incredibly excited to see me. He greeted me at the door as he always did, tail a blur, jumping into the air as I grabbed his leash. We walked around the block for a good half hour stopping often so he could smell light poles and patches of grass and pick out the perfect spots to leave his own scent i fed him his dinner when we got home and made my own and crawled up on the couch with henry when i was done eating chicken and oven fries i kept a small cube of chicken breast and tossed it to the dog and rubbed and scratched and found the gauze i had put on that morning i had forgotten all about it and pulled henry in close tipped him on his side, and gently peeled the tape from his skin. I was shocked by what was underneath the gauze. I expected a small scab the size of a pencil's eraser, well on its way to healing. But what was on Henry's stomach was a still-seeping wound, now about the size of a quarter. I poked around the sides of the oozing hole with my fingers, trying to feel for any pain, but Henry didn't seem to mind at all. In fact, he thought these were just normal belly rubs, and he loved those. I, however, was not as calm as Henry was. The fact that the wound hadn't closed up, and in fact was growing, was alarming. I imagined the rest of my poor little pup succumbing slowly to a terrible infection or being consumed by some horrible flesh-eating bacteria. I fetched his leash. Henry saw this as a sign of a bonus walk and began running around the house at full speed, unable to contain his excitement. A full five minutes passed before I was finally able to corral him, get his leash clipped to his collar, and get him out to the car. I drove him across town to the only vet still open at that point, and they did a quick exam, decided it was nothing serious, and gave my little buddy a few stitches to close up the wound and a cone to prevent him from chewing them out of his belly. Henry struggled mightily with that cone that first night. Then I repeated to him in that sing-song voice I always used to talk to him that he'd only have to wear it for a week and a half. Just until the stitches did their job, and that little wound on his belly healed up. He couldn't understand me, of course, but it made me feel better to repeat it to him. I felt him wrestle with the damn thing all through the night, which kept me up as well. The next morning, we both got out of bed exhausted, and it showed on our walk. Near the end, I was dragging him forward and cursing at him because he got to stay home and sleep all day, but I was headed to work. Henry ate breakfast more slowly than usual, and I hardly ate at all, instead guzzling coffee before heading to work. Work that day was, as predicted, very bad. I was useless in meetings, couldn't get my brain to work when I was at my desk, and mostly thought of Henry, whether he was okay at home in his cone, whether the stitches were feeling okay on his stomach. I left a few hours early, taking some sick time because I wasn't getting any work done anyway. I surprised Henry when I got home. He wasn't expecting me for a few more hours and was sprawled out on the couch asleep. Didn't even hear me when I came through the door. It wasn't until I was petting him that he opened his eyes up wide in surprise and then jumped up to lick my face. The cone around his neck whacked me in the head and then Henry jumped down off the couch and zoomed to the back door expecting his afternoon walk. I grabbed his leash and put it on but then crouched down to get a good look at the stitches. They were still there. Henry hadn't managed to gnaw them off but something was off about them. Through the eight or so stitches blood was still oozing out and here with henry sitting patiently and waiting to go outside a small solitary rivulet of red was trickling down toward his hind legs what was more there seemed to be something inside the wound pushing outward trying to force itself through the stitches it appeared to me as bright red meat being forced through a cheese grater I involuntarily gasped, and Henry got impatient, started biting at my hand, and the leash clasped within it. I hurried him outside, and he tried to drag me to the sidewalk where we normally had our walks, and was supremely disappointed when I picked him up and put him in the backseat of my car. The vet was even less concerned than the previous day. It was just a little swelling, and probably a mild infection. Keep the wound dressed and give him these, I remember them saying, as they handed me a mild antibiotic and painkillers. These will help keep him comfortable and stave off any further infection. Then the vet sent us back home and told me, in particular, to relax. That night, as I sat on the couch with the TV on, I watched Henry closely. The pain meds made him a little drowsy, and so he was snoozing away at the ground near the window. I watched his chest rise and fall with each breath and imagined what sorts of things could be going wrong in his body. Maybe it was a flesh eating bacteria, and the vet had just never seen such a thing, so couldn't recognize it. Maybe Henry had some awful parasite that was chewing its way through his body where movie cancer had taken hold in his body and was tearing through it like an explosion, and this mystery wound was the first of many skin lesions he would get over the coming months. I have a habit of catastrophizing if you hadn't noticed. I took a few deep breaths and reminded myself that the vet said there was nothing direly wrong with Henry, that he just needed some meds and some time to heal, and afterward he would be fine. Henry made a strange sound, like halfway between a snore and a bark, and then I couldn't see his chest rising and falling any longer. I jumped up off the couch and hurried to his side, where I placed my hand on his chest, immediately felt his breathing, and accidentally woke him up. He lifted his cone-encased head and looked at me, annoyed. I slept like garbage that night. Waking up once an hour at least to check on Henry, placing my hand on his chest to make sure he was breathing, making sure he was sleeping all right, checking his stitches to make sure they were still there, still holding that wound together. Sometime after 3 a.m., I woke up filled with dread. I couldn't be certain, but something was off about the room— The way the moon filtered in through my blinds, slicing the wall with light, seemed off-kilter. The silver slivers of moonlight drifted along my wall, over me and my bed, across Henry. The slices settled on the far wall, in an upright position, like bars on a jail cell, and quivered for a moment, like living, breathing, scared things, and then sprang to life, twisting themselves into coils and spirals. My blankets seemed to wrap around me. They embraced my legs, then my waist, then my arms and chest, coiling around me like so many snakes, holding me in place. Tighter, they compressed, but never so much that they squeezed the breath out of me. No, never more than a firm hug. Henry raised his head and looked over at me. His eyes reflected the moonlight and glowed as two shining orbs. He yawned and licked his lips and nose. The cone circled his face like a halo, and then he laid back down and dozed off. And I did the same. Henry wasn't in the bed the next morning. This was strange, but not so strange that I thought much of it. I stretched my tense muscles and made my bed and left my bedroom to find the dog. I found him laying on the living room floor with his head pointed out the window, watching for squirrels and birds and other dogs on walks. Henry, I said, and he jumped up and wagged his tail and hurried over to me. I noticed the spot on the carpet first, a patch of red about the size of a softball where Henry was laying. I knelt down to check Henry's stitches as he bound over to me and recoiled. His stitches now looked like a length of wire wrapped tightly around a small stake, meat bulging out of the wound and the stitches barely hanging on. Henry wagged his tail fiercely and licked my face. I rushed him back to the vet. The vet, again, told me it was nothing. Just a bad infection. We'd increase the strength of the antibiotics, redo the stitches, and Henry would be right as rain. Nothing changed for Henry. He was still his same, rambunctious self. He loved his morning scratches, savored every moment of each and every walk, and careened around the house when I brought out his food. But something changed in me. An anxiety bubbled up from deep in my guts. Something was wrong with Henry, despite what the vet had told me. I could feel it. My stomach hurt after only a small breakfast. I had a low grade headache that settled into the base of my skull. I spent the next few days distracted at work. But the vet turned out to be right for a while. Henry's stitches held, it seemed like he was on the mend. We took a few long walks in the park that weekend. It seemed to be behind us. I got home late from work the following Wednesday. I had had to stay a few extra hours to put the finishing touches on a project that needed to go out the next morning. When I arrived home, Henry didn't greet me as he usually did, and this was very unusual. Especially if I was late, he'd be raring to go outside, needing to use the bathroom and desperate to not do it in the house. I knew something was wrong. I called out his name, but he still didn't turn up, and so I crept into the house, anxious about what I might find. I really had no idea what was in store for me. The floor was streaked with blood back and forth across the whole house, not a single trail, so I couldn't use it to track the dog. Henry wasn't in the living room, though the carpet was nearly completely painted in red. He sometimes liked to go into the bathroom and shut the door behind him, so I checked there too, but no, he wasn't in the bathroom either. He wasn't in the kitchen near his balls, and I didn't see him in the bedroom either, but what I did see in the bedroom was a single trail of crimson from the bedroom door, straight across the floor, under the bed. I took a deep breath and realized how badly I was shaking. Trembling, really. Terrified of the horror show I would see under the bed, I crouched down, expecting to find Henry's lifeless body but two eyes, full of life, shone out of the darkness. I gasped and blurted out, Henry, are you okay? Henry lunged forward, out from under the bed, directly at me. I recoiled, and when Henry tumbled out into the light, I saw that it was no longer Henry, not really. Henry had turned into a puddle, a mound, really and dragged himself forward with four tubes of meat capped with paws. He had two eyes, but they sat on the side of a bulb of muscle sitting on top of the mound of flesh, and it had an opening lined with teeth that I guessed was a mouth. Henry lunged forward again, gurgling and snarling and gnashing. I ran out of the bedroom and shut the door behind, leaning and then sliding to the floor and sitting against it. On the other side, I could hear Henry whining, whimpering, panting, and sniffing. After a few moments, he calmed and moved away from the door. I heard him drag himself back and forth near the door for a few seconds longer and then come to rest somewhere in the bedroom. Then I got up and turned the doorknob and slipped back inside the bedroom once more. I couldn't find him this time. He wasn't on the floor or on the bed or under it. Finally, I noticed the smear of blood on the wall behind me near the door and followed it up to the ceiling where Henry had huddled and was now trembling. I called to him as gently as I could, tried to coax him down. He moved something in his sinewy form and lost his grip and fell, Splatting onto the floor and letting out a yelp and a howl. I rushed over to the pile of meat and bone that my dog had become. He was barely breathing. Each gasp contained a tiny whine. I put my hand on the bloody mass, and under my touch, it quivered and then calmed slightly. His breathing slowed appendages extended from the oozing ball of guts, each with a mangled paw on the end of them, and tried to drag Henry's body into my lap. A length of muscle moved aside in the larger mass and again exposed one of Henry's eyes, wide and scared and in so much pain. I scooped him up into my lap. Blood and bile flowed around my fingers. I hugged him close And then Henry breathed his last breath. This episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things was produced and edited by me, Justin Buskey. The story, a story about a dog, was written by me too. And follow me on Twitter, at Justin Busky. Intro and outro music is by the prolific Eric Warnke. Check him out on SoundCloud. Special thanks to the 14 years of joy my dog Zelda has given me. Death, Dying, and Other Things is a member of the Modern Horrors Podcast Network. Check out all the other shows, they're great. New episodes the second Thursday of every month. This has been Death Down One of the Things, and I've been your host, Justin Buskey. Stay out of the shadows.